Given that our husbands associate good money management with their self-worth, how can we help them thrive in this area? All right, ladies, we're picking up where we left off last week, how to help your husband thrive as the financial manager, and especially how to ask for money respectfully. And this is in the scenario where your husband is already currently the breadwinner and managing the finances. Uh, last week, we shared seven ways to help him thrive in his role as breadwinner. And now we're hitting up the financial management portion. Now we stopped last week and put this second part of this first scenario off because what I'm about to share is the same set of guidelines for the second scenario that we were going to address. So remember that we had three scenarios that we were discussing. The first we just outlined, the second scenario which we said we were going to address was one in which the wife is currently overextending herself with regards to the financial management. And we said that we would talk about some signs that this is the case. The third situation, which we will probably not get into today, to be honest, is the situation where the wife is the sole breadwinner. Okay, so let's dive into how to help your husband thrive in financial management. And this is applicable both for the first situation where your husband is already the primary manager of the finances, as well as the second scenario where a wife is currently doing too much to assist with the finances and needs a game plan for backing off. Now for the first situation where the husband is the primary manager of the finances, the recommendations that I'm about to give are for wives who need to change things up for one simple reason. It's currently stressful and painful to talk about money with your husband. Conversations about money do not have to be difficult. So if you are getting into arguments about money, if one or both of you are walking away from a money conversation with anger or resentment, if it feels like this is a conversation that's a mind game or you're walking on eggshells about it, basically if it seems like money is currently a divisive aspect of your marriage versus a unitive aspect, then I'm going to outline a game plan for you. And this proposal is of course predicated on an existing discipline of joy. We always come back to the discipline of joy as our foundation. What the discipline of joy can accomplish is to help your husband feel trusted, appreciated, and accepted. And he needs to feel these things in order for this game plan to go over well. The objectives of this game plan are to give your husband the opportunity to be thorough, to be decisive, to be ambitious on behalf of his family, and to be generous with his dependents, and to give you the opportunity to grow in humility by practicing a deeper respect, a firmer trust, and a more complete obedience. If you're going to listen to this game plan, <laughs> I have to beg you to listen to the whole thing because some of it will seem quite insane up front. But I promise that if you listen through to the end, you will at least understand the method 
to the madness, even if it still seems mad. <laughs> okay. And just to reiterate, um, this game plan is for wives who currently feel that money is divisive, a divisive aspect in their marriage rather than a unitive aspect. And that's in the first scenario where the husband is the primary manager of the finances. And also for the second scenario where wives are currently overextending themselves by managing the finances. This is extremely important to remember because this game plan is operating off of the assumption that there is something which needs to be remedied. If there's nothing to remedy, <laughs> if in that first scenario, you and your husband are totally on the same page about everything and you never get into arguments and you're totally happy with how your husband manages money and you're always profusely grateful for everything that he provides and you're so happy about the quality of living that he makes possible for you. This game plan is not <laughs> for you or at least not necessarily for you. You might get some ideas um, on how to make things even better in various areas, but it sounds like you've already got a good thing going for you. This game plan is really geared towards wives who are needing help getting to where you are. So here we go. Number one, this is, this is a step-by-step -step plan, okay? Number one, if you have eyes on the cash flow, stop. If you have eyes on the cash flow, stop. Why? Again, we're assuming that money is currently a stressor in your marriage or you're overextending yourself and emasculating your husband. For a wife, it's a stressor because, haha, it's an occasion of sin. Now, women will claim that they need to have eyes on the cash flow because it's their job to be good stewards of their husband's money. And that works just fine for women who are totally on the same page and completely happy with their husband and all of his decisions. Women who have complete confidence and trust in their husband and never second guess or gainsay what he's doing. But if you're not happy with how your husband manages money, having eyes on the cash flow becomes an occasion of sin. You're more likely to criticize him. You're more likely to question and challenge his headship. You're more likely to abuse and insult him internally. You're more likely to nag or nitpick about his decisions, which are visible to you. You're more likely to try to compensate for what you perceive to be his mistakes with regards to the cash flow and then resent that you feel that you have to do that and women will hear this and be like okay well then i just need to buckle down and shut up but the thing is when you go to confession for these things you state in the act of contrition that you will avoid near occasions of sin we don't go to confession and say, I'm going to keep putting myself in situations where I face the same temptations and I'm just going to buckle down and do better. No, we state that we're going to be responsible for avoiding occasions of sin. 
If this is an occasion of sin for you, quit fooling yourself. This is not about being a good steward of your husband's money, because being a good steward of your husband's money means paying attention to what you are doing, paying attention to yourself. And we're going to come back to this shortly. The reason that most women don't want to let go of eyes on the cash flow is because they want eyes on what their husband is doing. So number one, if you have eyes on the cash flow, stop. How? Well, just stop. <laughs> is it really that complicated? Stop looking. Stop looking. Discipline yourself. Cut it out. And if your husband invites you to look at the cash flow for whatever reason, which is highly unlikely if you're in a situation where money conversations are stressors for you, you simply say, it's okay, honey, I trust you. It's that simple. And now, not only did you avoid an occasion of sin, you said something which expressed acceptance, trust, and appreciation. Bingo. If you're currently overextending yourself by being the manager of the finances, you just have to make sure that he has the login info for all the bank accounts. That simple. If he has the login info, you stop. It's fine. If he doesn't currently have the login info, that's a big problem. <laughs> um, you, can, you can write it down on a piece of paper and just make sure he has it. That's fine. Number two, stop being involved in the budget drafting. Stop being involved in the budget drafting. Again, this is a game plan for wives in marriages where money is currently divisive, a stressor, something that's causing difficulty in the marriage, or even causing emasculation. Last week, we pointed out that women, when expenses exceed income, look to cut corners, prioritize their children's needs over their husbands, and if they make any sacrifices, expect their husband to make sacrifices which they deem at least equal to, if not greater than, their own. And so being involved in the budget drafting can, just like having eyes on the cash flow, be an enormous occasion of sin of the same sins of criticizing, challenging, questioning your husband's headship, of abusing and insult, insulting him. This is where a lot of arguing happens. When a wife insists on being part of the budget drafting in a marriage where money is not a facilitator of peace and harmony and intimacy, it's not because of any desire to make sure she's doing her part. It's because she wants to keep her husband in line. So number two, stop being involved in the budget drafting. And if your husband does invite you to assist him, same line. It's okay, honey. I trust you. Occasion of sin avoided. Expression of acceptance, trust, and appreciation. Awesome. Number three, assess your own spending. Okay, assess your own spending. If you really care about being a good steward of the money your husband earns then focus on what you're doing with it. What he's doing with the money he earns has nothing to do with your good stewardship. 
the only person you can control is yourself. This is from episode 10. We shared a modified version of the serenity prayer. Quote, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot control. The courage to control the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. End quote. So spend a month tracking your own spendings. Every single time that you are the one completing the transaction, track it and categorize it. Do this for at least a month, maybe as many as three months, so that you can average it out. And then assess, is your spending reasonable? Your spending, not his. You don't have eyes on his anymore. You have eyes on yourself where they belong. Is your spending reasonable? And I do want to say, ladies, that this exercise is not merely to catch yourself in unreasonable extravagance. This exercise is also to evaluate unreasonable stinginess. Women cut corners to the point where they will impose unreasonable suffering on themselves and impose unreasonable suffering on others. Father Raoul Plou says, quote, Banish exaggerated asceticism from your life heroically. If your home is Christian and each member of the family is learning to carry his cross, then it is essential to avoid making others suffer by a too ostentatious or inopportune austerity. Besides, there is abundant opportunity for self-renunciation in devoting oneself to procuring joy for others. End quote. If you've been wearing the same coat for 10 years and it's threadbare and the down stuffing is coming out and there are holes in the pockets and the armpits, if you bear that with joy, that's one thing. If you're grumpy and growling every time you put on that coat, and expecting your family, and especially your husband, to notice that you're supposedly suffering this threadbare coat for or because of them, then it's just an occasion of sin for you. And on a pragmatic level, it's a greater suffering for the entire family if mom gets sick. So for heaven's sake, literally, get a new coat. Or you've got a pair of shoes that have been handed down for four kids and the soles are worn out. If every time you put those shoes on a kid, you're angry with your husband because you think to yourself that he's not providing enough or managing responsibly enough to get a new pair, then it's an occasion of sin for you. Honestly, I think for, <laughs> I won't say most, but for many faithful Catholic women, extravagance is not the problem. Or it's actually the considerably smaller problem. And where that's a problem, it is often because women aren't asking for money in a respectful manner, and we're coming up on that part shortly. So number four, write up a spending plan for the upcoming month. A spending plan is not a budget. What do I mean by that? You are going to write up a bullet-pointed list. Each bullet point is going to state a category and give the amount that you plan to spend in that category 
for the upcoming month. And this is based on the previous step, your month long assessment, which we just stated is not only to curb extravagance, but to highlight unhealthy stinginess. Remember, you have eyes off of the cash flow and eyes off of the budget. This bullet pointed spending plan has nothing to do with how much your husband actually makes currently. The only parameter that you're going to work with is asking yourself, is this amount of money a reasonable amount of money for me to spend in this category? That's it. It's up to you and your conscience to curb extravagance, but it is also on you and your conscience to stop being unreasonably stingy, especially because this is another huge occasion of sin. And as always, this goes back to the discipline of joy. If your mom's group has a weekly gathering at a kid-friendly cafe and you've been cutting corners and not going, but then you've been taking out your bad mood for not having gone, on your husband and or your kids, then for God's sake, woman, spend that $5 on a cup of coffee each week for you to take some time to be refreshed and be able to serve your family with that much more joy as a result. For you to feel connected with and supported by other women striving for sainthood, for your husband to be received by a smiling, content, rejuvenated wife when he gets home from work, and for your children to understand that motherhood is a joy that has difficulties from time to time, but is not a drudgery, and for you to avoid an occasion of sin and have so much less to bring to the confessional, is $5 a week so unreasonable? Mental health is a big one, especially getting help for postpartum depression. Ladies, the term mental health can be so misleading. It does not mean that it is all in your head. Legitimate mental health issues are due to chemical imbalances in the body. Physical, measurable, tangible imbalances. If the entire household is in a slump for months or even years following the birth of a child because a mother will not get the help that she needs, how unkind is that to the entire family? We're going to have an episode focusing on investing in your marriage monetarily coming up probably in the next month or two because I realize that when the idea of the discipline of joy is new, our idea of what is reasonable in the spending area can be difficult to reframe based on how our consciences are currently formed. So for now, try to go with this. Something can be considered reasonable if you're not ashamed to ask God for it. Take your husband out of the equation for a second because if financial management is a source of conflict in your marriage currently, your feelings about asking your husband for money are probably not what they should be. Going back to the weekly cup of coffee with your mom friends, would you be ashamed to tell God that you need community, that you need support, that you need to feel understood, that you need sisterhood? And would you be ashamed to tell him that $5 a week for a cup of coffee is what you need to make that happen for yourself?
if you would not be ashamed to ask God for something, for money to buy your fifth kid a new pair of shoes instead of handing down the worn ones, or for money for a new coat because you wrap that coat around your newborn in his or her carrier when it's windy, then it shouldn't be a problem to ask for that money from your husband. You have to ask respectfully. But if you wouldn't be ashamed before God, then don't allow it to be an occasion of sin where you resent your husband because you tell yourself that you can't ask. That's on you. That's your problem. If you choose to resent your husband and choose to tell yourself you can't ask for something which before God, you know you would have no trouble presenting as thoroughly reasonable and the farthest thing from extravagant. So number four, write up a spending plan for the upcoming month. Some additional guidance on this. This spending plan should not include bills, which your husband would be paying if he was a bachelor. Okay, rent, utilities, none of that. This spending plan should mostly not include bills which are shared in the sense that your husband would still have the bill if he were a bachelor. So phone bill. Your spending plan does not need to remind your husband that half of the phone bill covers your phone. He's going to pay the phone bill because he would have a phone bill anyway. Now, if you're upgrading your phone and that's a one-time expense, that is something you would want to put in your spending plan. And to that point, you're going to rework this spending plan month to month. We'll get to that a little later. Now I said, mostly with regards to shared bills or bills in general, because groceries uh, is an example of something where there might be bills involved, like a Costco membership renewal, or maybe you have a produce subscription like Misfit Markets or Imperfect Foods. Yes, your husband would pay for groceries anyway, anyway, because he would eat if he was a bachelor. But if you're a stay-at-home wife, a stay-at-home mom, and you're probably the one buying groceries and it's your job to know the variables at play. When you have teenage boys, you're probably going to be spending on more meat, for example. In short, you're the one who knows that you're going to need less money for diapers once you've potty trained another kid. Another season of basketball might mean needing a new uniform or one of your kids joined the gymnastics team and needs something specific for competitions. If you have kids, include all of the expenses for the kids. And even if you don't, include items which you are responsible for procuring on behalf of the entire household, like groceries, because you are the one who has eyes on the variables. Hopefully those examples are enough guidance for this write-up. Here we go with the asking part. Number five, present your spending plan to your husband in a manner which does not require a conversation. Stay with me. This is so important. I'm going to say that again. Present your spending plan to your husband in a manner which does not require a conversation. Not because you're never going to talk about it or refuse to talk about it, but because, guess what? The wife initiating a conversation is an occasion of sin. 
What do I mean by that? Well, because the temptation for a wife, the very first time that she presents a spending plan, is to forestall pushback from her husband by anticipating every objection that he could possibly have to it. In the course of her defense, however, she is at risk for all of the sins which we were trying to avoid in the first two steps of taking one's eyes off of the cash flow and the budget. If she initiates a conversation before he even had a chance to glance at what she is giving him, she is likely to jump directly into the negative cycles we're trying so hard to break with this game plan. She's likely to criticize, to say insulting things, to express distrust, to bring up past disappointments and grievances. All of that is completely unacceptable. But more importantly, it's divisive and destructive to your marriage. So when you initially present this spending plan, the simple bullet point list, you must, you must, you cannot tweak this step, give it to him in such a manner that he is able to read through it before any words whatsoever are exchanged between you. You can send it in an email, you can write it down and put it on his desk, but what you're doing is you're putting the ball in his court. With a bullet pointed list, you can write, this is my spending plan for the next month. Thank you so much for everything you do to provide for me and the kids. And that is all. Do not say more, okay? When you present your spending plan, again, this is step number five. At this time is also when you will present your husband with a list of login information, which is pertinent to managing finances. This should be pretty self-explanatory, but if you just want a quick list to double check against, this should include any and all banking information, retirement funds, utility bills, basically anything that has a regular installment like phone bills, your Amazon Prime account, your Costco membership, etc. Remember that this step is presenting information in a manner which does not require conversation. So you're just going to write out line items. Each line item will have the company or organization, the service that they provide, and the login information for that online account. And that's it. So for example, Duke Energy, electric bill, username and password. You are not writing out lengthy explanations or justifications for any of these services. Your goal in presenting your spending plan and all pertinent access information in this minimalistic manner is to provide your husband with the pieces that he needs to exercise his headship with regards to the finances, but even more importantly, to actually avoid communicating too much. And by too much, what I mean is anything that will make your husband feel pressured to stick to whatever system you have had up until this point, or to make your husband feel more inadequate by demonstrating how well you have this already figured out. And then number six, keep your peace. Keep your peace. Now notice I did not say keep your silence. 
that might be part of keeping your peace, but then it might not be. If your husband receives your spending plan and makes no comment and asks no questions, that is a situation <laughs> where you keep your silence. You respect that he doesn't feel the need to talk about it. And you keep your peace in two ways. Firstly, by proving yourself trustworthy and conforming to the spending plan which you have written for yourself. Don't go above it. And secondly, by presenting him with a spending plan for every month thereafter. Presenting a spending plan to your husband demonstrates your accountability and not requiring him to talk about it demonstrates to him that you trust him and expect the best from him because you are leaving it entirely up to him to figure out how to be able to afford the expensive expenses which you believe according to your conscience are indeed reasonable for your family and this should go without saying but some people need to hear it there's nothing to get angry about if your husband never says anything about your spending plan if he says nothing and has no objections why would you get mad if you think silence means he doesn't care learn to give him the benefit of the doubt and trust that silence from him means that he's not worried about it now let's say he does ask some questions about it which he probably might if this is the first time you're doing it this is the scenario which requires the most preparation on your part if your husband asks you any questions about your spending plan no matter what words he uses assume that he's asking for what not why this is new for your husband, so he's also going to struggle a bit with the language. Making this assumption that he means what, not why, is actually according to him the respect that he deserves. So examples. If he asks, why are you giving me this spending plan? If you assume that he is asking what, not why, <laughs> even though that's the word he said, your answer is simple. This is the spending plan for the upcoming month. It is what I believe I will be spending in each of the categories listed. Plain and simple. Assuming that he's asking what and not actually why prevents you from launching into a dissertation in which you are likely to commit many sins of disrespect. You do not need to go into how talking to him about money has been really stressful and it makes you angry and you hate it and you disagree with everything he does. And so now you're trying this new way hoping for a different result. No. If you assume that he means what, not why, the answer is simple. This is a spending plan for the upcoming month. It is what I believe I will be spending in each of the categories listed. Done and done. Another example, if he were to ask, why do you need $100 for the kids? Again, if you assume that he is really asking what, not why, your answer is simple. You list out how you came up with $100. You say $60 for the month's supply of diapers for two of the kids, 
our oldest kid needs a $20 pair of shoes, and there's a $20 cushion in case I forgot something. Again, you do not launch into a dissertation as to why the kids are still in diapers, because you haven't had any energy to potty train them yourself, and it's all his fault because he's not helping at all, or to point out that a new pair of shoes is being retired because the soles on the old pair are coming off, and to rag on your husband for failing to notice that his children have been suffering because their socks are soaked and their toes are frostbitten. This is not the time. <laughs> if he asks, why do you need $300 for groceries? You don't go into a tirade about how teenage boys need a ton of protein and you need to give yourself a break from time to time by buying some heat and serve stuff instead of having to make every single meal from scratch. Stop it. Our objective is to break negative cycles. Assume that your husband is asking what, not why. He asks you why you need $300 for groceries. You tell him, oh, that's just what we normally spend every month. That's simple. And if he pushes, Okay, there might actually be a why question, which you cannot mentally convert to a what question. Like, what if he asks, why didn't you tell me sooner that our son needed new shoes? Um, we, we're going to have to tackle situations like this at length in another episode because this is not specific to talking about money. But suffice to say, look at the examine from episode 14. And that should give a starting guideline. The long and short of it is, quite simply, don't respond with anything that you have to go to confession for. Responding with a litany of your husband's faults is something you need to go to confession for. Two things more which I will say on this subject. I do not believe that if you assume initially that he is asking what and not why, no matter what words he uses and responding accordingly, I do believe that it is very unlikely that your husband will push further because husbands don't like being criticized. So husbands are frankly not likely to ask questions which they believe will lead to criticism. And second, if you had previously attempted to communicate something in a way which was through criticism or complaining, let's say the shoes for your son. This is a great opportunity to just apologize. Just say, I'm sorry. And don't go justifying your previous behavior because that's disrespectful in and of itself. And so now you have another thing to apologize for and another thing to confess. If you tried asking for money for something before in a way which was disrespectful, usually this means through either criticism or complaining, then if he asks why you didn't communicate something before, just say sorry and leave it at that. Two words at most, either I'm sorry or I apologize, and you stop there. These are your choices. These are your sins. You can triumph or you can make it worse. It's your choice. 
Okay, now up until this point, we've assumed that your husband will approve your spending plan, whether tacitly by asking no questions and making no comments, or by asking a few clarifying questions, such as what we just discussed, but ultimately making no objections and requiring no amendments. Let's now talk about what happens if he asks you to curb any portion of your spending plan. And this is still part of number six in our game plan, keeping your peace. If it is an area that literally cannot be curbed, barring some major lifestyle change, ask him for the solution respectfully. So let's say that the budget for the kids includes the fees for their gymnastics and martial arts classes. You respond with, could you please give me a solution to this problem? $70 is for dear daughter's gymnastics and $50 is for dear son's martial arts classes. What is the best way to fix this? Okay, you ask him to give the solution to the problem. You state the pertinent facts and then you ask for the best way to fix the problem. Important things here. You are stating facts and keeping feelings out of it. You do not say, well, the kids are going to hate you because that means one of them needs to quit sports. No. You are stating facts and keeping feelings out of it. You are bringing the problem to your husband to fix and you are leaving it open-ended for him to provide what he believes is the best solution. You do not volunteer what you think are potential solutions. You leave it entirely open-ended. Men like fixing problems. They feel great about themselves when they successfully fix a problem, especially if it's a problem for their wife. And you are demonstrating your trust and confidence in him by leaving it entirely up to him. You will also abide by his decision, whatever it may be. You will not push back once the solution is provided. And if you need a refresher course on obedience to our husbands, you can head on back to episodes three and four. So you're giving him the facts, you're keeping your feelings out of it, and you're giving him the space to come up with a solution entirely on his own. In this way, you are helping him to feel trusted accepted and appreciated. This is great. Now, what if it is an area that can be curbed? Then externally, you abide by his decision and make it happen for this month. You do so cheerfully and without complaint. And next month, you submit your spending plan all over again and pretend like he didn't ask you to curb anything previously. Why? How is that not disrespectful? Because first of all, it demonstrates your confidence in him to be able to make it happen, to be innovative, to come up with solutions. After all, you have determined that these expenses are reasonable. You are not asking for anything unreasonable. And second, you're abiding by his decisions. So if he says no every month, you're not going to challenge that but you're giving him the opportunity to come up with a new solution to what he might consider to be a problem at this time. 
and then you are continuing to practice obedience. Now I said that that's what you do externally. Let's talk about the internal work because that's just as important. Why might a husband ask for anything to be curved? And what should our response be? Well, if he asks you to curb something because he's not sure that he can provide that much, then he's being cautious, right? Caution demonstrates prudence and responsibility on his part. So you shouldn't get angry. You should be proud of him for demonstrating these virtues. If he asks you to curb something because he is certain that he cannot provide that much at this time, then again, he's being responsible and prudent and you have nothing to be upset about. If he asks you to curb something because he feels disrespected and you have a history of being disrespectful, then again, you have nothing to be angry about because you vowed respect and obedience to your spouse. Keep working on your discipline of joy and try again next month. If he asks you to curb something out of some meanness on his part, if he's being stingy with you for no good reason, don't be angry about it. You've avoided sin up until this point. The best response now is to pray for him. Because if he doesn't have a good reason to be stingy with you, that's between him and God. That's something he'll answer to God for. You have been entrusted to your husband by God for your husband to image God's generosity to you. If he is failing at that, don't waste energy getting angry at him. Justice is God's. Your responsibility is to pray for your husband to become all that God intends for him to be and for you to be all that God intends you to be. And you are most certainly not given authority to be your husband's judge, jury, and executioner. And finally, most importantly, your husband cannot give what you do not ask for. If you don't even ask for what you truly believe is reasonable according to your conscience, then you cannot be angry or bitter or resentful towards him for not reading your mind. If you're being stingy with yourself, you can't be angry with him. He didn't force you to be. If you're forcing sacrifices on the kids, you can't be angry with him. You're the one forcing them. And if you do ask, and he says no to something, we just went over that. Okay, so number six was a big one. Keeping your peace. Keep your peace. Number seven is simple. You keep asking and you keep abiding. Follow steps three through six, month after month after month. And we start with step three, the assessment. Because what's reasonable can change as often as every month. You have a new baby, you need more money for clothes and diapers. You potty train one of the kids, you don't need diapers anymore, see? It might not change much month to month, but the exercise of continual evaluation is good for you. Where are you being unreasonably extravagant? Where are you being unreasonably stingy? 
This was a longer episode than usual, but <laughs> there was no really good place to break it up. So thank you for sticking with us, ladies. Next week, we're going to start off with talking about why, if you do implement this game plan that we just outlined, why you absolutely cannot take it back with very, very, very minor exceptions, which are in extreme emergency situations. So if you're hearing this, if you thought to yourself that you would try it, but you're on the fence about sticking with it, don't do anything yet. Spend this week praying about it and make sure you tune in with us next Sunday for Compensating Part 4. God bless, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.